Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And um, just a couple of things I want to reiterate. If you are visiting, please do us a favor and fill out one of those connection cards. Not only do we have that gift for you, but we just love to be able to connect with you. We have a whole team that would reach out to you during the week and figure out how we can not only help you get connected, but answer any questions you have. And so much is happening on a Sunday morning, so we want to do our best to inform you as much as we can. And we're just excited to have you here. We're so excited to have you here. It's, it's funny. <laughs> I was talking to Sam on the front row. If you were here last week, I preached on worship. I talked about worship is weird, and we went through all that. And, and just in some of my, sometimes I get off my notes a little bit, and I can't quite control where we go. And I mentioned, I mentioned that I didn't like the song Oceans. Do y'all remember that? <laughs> I, I actually said specifically, Sam reminded me so graciously that I would run my head through a window or something. And so I'm, I'm sitting down crying with like puddles of water and God's like, say something else, bro. Say something else. And so I'm sorry, God. Oh, oh man, that was so good. So good. And, and I know God's going to bring us back to that moment at the end of the service. And so just go ahead and prepare your heart now. Uh, it's just going to be an incredible moment for us to, as Darla's been saying, release control. And man, ooh, I, I, look, I, I got I to set stuff up. I'll get right into it. We'll be like, worship team, come back up. Let's just go right after it. Um, I do want to give a couple of little announcements. First of all, as, as Brian and Zoe talked about, over 70 people in the marriage conference yesterday. Come on. Come on. Um, Darla and I, we, we just left. We were, we were exhausted and at the same time filled. You know, we were emptied and we were filled just by watching uh, the couples conversate and pray together. And just, I mean, that's our heart and our dream. Uh, we really do love you. We really do want to be a part of your lives. And so it was fun. We were talking about it last night. And one of the things I think is really cool about it is you would teach something and then you would watch it applied right in front of you, you know, where you don't really get to experience that in church because I might share a thought for 45 minutes and then, you know, then you leave and you go apply it at a time where I'm not there to see it. And so, you know, I was telling Darla, I was like, there's only two options. We either start, I preach for about five minutes and let you apply it right now, right where you are, or I just follow you around all throughout the week. Just be popping up at stuff like, what you doing? You know, how you applying it? Um, and so uh, I do like to always bring attention to what we're able to do financially because of your giving. Um, every, every month, there are people that give through tithes and offerings that, that help this church operate and run. And, and uh, we want to encourage you, if, if you're joining us, if you've been for a minute and you haven't started tithing or you're new, uh, we encourage you to look into that. We encourage you to pray about it and start giving and tithing because we always get to share not only what, like you see every Sunday what the money's doing here and what we're able to provide from kids ministry to Dream Team Care to coffee and all these kind of things. But we're doing so much outside of the church. And so, you know, we've been talking about what we did with Convoy of Hope uh, over January and February. But, but what we're about to start doing is an impact with literacy, especially in our area specifically to Antioch. And so a couple of things we're going to do. One, uh, it is, I'm going to get the date wrong. I think March 30th. Is that right, Zoe? March 30th is the reading day. Yeah, so March 30th, we're going we're gonna to look to you. We'll talk more about it coming up, but we're going to give you details on it. If you would like to come and join us at a couple of local schools in having a reading time, uh, so it's Literacy Month, and so volunteers who have that time during the day, actually, I think this one's at night, you can come and just kind of help read to students and encourage that. But here's something that we're going to do that everybody can participate in. The entire month of March, we're going to encourage you to bring books to the church. So because of your faithfulness, we can already provide a certain amount of books, which I'll share over the next couple of weeks, that we can already provide, whether you bring them or not, just because you're faithful in your giving. But we always like to do this. This has been a, a, a pattern of our church. Because of your faithfulness, we can already do this. But if you would like to do something on top of it, 
you can do this. And so we're going to have an area through the entire month of March out in the lobby where you can bring books and donate them. And then at the end of the month, we will take all of those books to local schools and we will help create libraries in those schools so that kids can come and read. So that's what you're already doing. So first of all, put your hands together for that because you're, you're already doing it. You're already doing it with your faithful finances, but if, if you say, hey, I want to jump on that, I got some books, I want to donate, uh, again, like I said, we start next Sunday, and then we'll be giving information, so we'll talk about it every Sunday and give you more and more information as we go. Amen? Amen. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you can do it on your phone. Uh, we have an app that has all my sermon notes. It'll be on the screen above me, as well as if you have a paper Bible. Um, we are bringing this series to a close. Next Sunday, we start a brand new series that will take us up to Easter. Um, we're going to call it This Is Also True. Uh, if you remember, yeah, woo, let's woo that. Um, if you remember, uh, I think it was about a year ago or so, I preached a one-time sermon on this concept. It's built from the, the conversation that Jesus and, the, and Satan have in the wilderness where Satan starts quoting scripture and things. And Jesus says that's true, but this is also true. Um, and it's this concept for you and I that, that there are things that are true in our life, but there are things that are also true with that. And so I'll give you some examples. Like one of them might be, well, I'm a sinner and that's true, but I'm also righteous and that's also true. And so we're going to be able to teach through things. I'm sure that's true, but I'm unsure that's also true, right? And so we're going to be able to talk through some just basic things that are going to lead us up to Easter. We will do two services in Easter, and we got more and more announcements of that coming up soon, but we're expecting just a blowout day. Uh, that'll be the finale of that series. And then after that, I have decided, I haven't even told the directors this year, but I changed some plans. After Easter, we're going into a series about prayer. Uh, we're going to focus on that because we're going to build a, a stronger prayer culture in our church. And I'm, I, I, I got to get to preach. I can't talk about it. We are, all right. So there's too much going on, too much excitement, been, been planning and prepping. So Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah chapter 13, last chapter of Nehemiah. It's been a series called Rebuilding, where we've been challenging us to rebuild areas in our life. Um, from the beginning of the year to now, we did a 21-day fast to start this off. And it's just been an awesome, awesome uh, time. And it comes to close today. So I'm going to read about eight verses Seven verses, and then we'll get into it. It says, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles. And also the tithes of grain, the new wine, and the olive oil that was prescribed for the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I, Nehemiah, was not in Jerusalem. I wasn't there. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. If you remember, before he went to build the wall, he worked for the king. So the king let him go build the wall. Now he's returned. He said, sometime later, I asked his permission and I came back to Jerusalem where I'd rebuilt the wall. And here I learned about the evil thing that Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah, who was the enemy, a room in the courts of the house of God. Nehemiah said, I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I evicted him. Um, I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. He said, I also learned that the portions that were assigned to the Levites had not been being given to them, and that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service, they had gone back to their own fields because we weren't paying them, basically. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and I stationed them at their post. 
I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning from the idea, who puts you in charge? Who, who put you in charge? At the marriage conference today, I said, this is the best post-marriage conference sermon you can have. Who put you in charge? Uh, let me set it up a little bit. I'm going to tell a story that if you've been coming here for a while, you've heard this story before. But we have a lot of new people in our church as our church continues to grow. And, and, and this is a story that's important. So I want you to be able to feel like family, and therefore you need to know this story. Uh, one of my first jobs was at Chick-fil-A. Okay? Um, my job at Chick-fil-A was the drive through window. That's, that's what I was responsible for. And I love people. And so often I would get to talking to people at the drive through window and totally forget to even give them food. Like I was just <laughs> chit-chatting and having a good time. Oh, by the way, you're here to eat. Um, and, and so every once in a while, they, they were real hesitant on how much responsibility they gave me because I wasn't doing well at anything but running my mouth. Um, but one day they came to me and they said, Troy, in, in lieu of all your responsibilities, uh, we need you to refill the ice cream machine. And I had never been trained on how to refill the ice cream machine. And so I said, you're putting me in charge of refilling the ice cream machine? That seems like it's important because Chick-fil-A's ice cream is pretty popular. And they said, yeah, you know, we trust you. You're like a man of honor. You're like a man who will one day plant a church and lead an organization. And we think you can, we think you can handle ice cream. And I said, okay, great. So they said, here's what you do. They said, you go in the back. You get the bag of what looks like milk. You come back in. You turn the machine off. You pour the bag of milk into the machine. You turn the machine back on. It will then turn that milk-looking substance into ice cream. I said, Sounds like I got it. I'm, you know, the Lord's gifted me with wisdom. Let's do it. So, so I go and do that. I come back. Everything's good. I go back to handling my drive through window. And about 30 minutes later, I'm just noticing out of the corner of my eye that people are returning their ice cream cones, like coming back with like full ice cream cones. And I'm watching the cash register people take it and throw it in the trash. And I'm like, that's odd. And so the first moment I get a kind of a break, I go over to the cashier person and I say, hey, what's going on with the ice cream? And they were like, we don't know. But everybody's saying that it doesn't taste good. And I'm like, what? You know, ice cream has great, you know, or Chick-fil-A has great ice cream. What do you mean it doesn't taste good? What does that mean? And they said, I don't know. One guy said it tastes like coleslaw. <laughs> and I was like, coleslaw? That's weird. And I stepped away for a second, and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> And so I went into the back, and I walked into the back, and here's what the situation. They had these, like, like uh, shelves on the wall, and all down the shelves was the bags of milk for the ice cream. And right next to them was the bag of the coleslaw mix, right next to it. So what I had done is I had taken the bag of coleslaw mix and put it in the ice cream machine instead of the milk, and we had invented coleslaw ice cream, right? <laughs> Which apparently wasn't a good thing. But, but I walked away from that with a very important question. Who put me in charge? Some of y'all right now are going, I wouldn't have done that. And he's my pastor. Like, I, we, we wouldn't do that. Like, there's just moments, y'all, where we have to kind of step back and go, yeah, the problem could be me. Maybe I shouldn't be in control. I got, I got to thinking that for a lot of us and for most people, the biggest hurdle to growing in Christ is giving up control. Like, like one of the biggest hurdles for us when it comes to maturing as believers and maturing in Christ is to give up control. For example, for, for you to take a step in faith, it takes control. Right? It takes you giving up control. For you to take a step out in faith. For, for you to quit one job and try out for another job that might be a dream, it takes you releasing control. For you to visit a church takes releasing control. You know what I mean? 
for you to have faith and follow God, for you to wake up early in the morning and read your Bible and pray, it takes releasing control. Here's one, for you to tithe, it takes releasing control, right? For us to serve God in a church, it takes releasing control. Now we don't even control our own time that we wake up on Sunday morning, right? We're releasing control. And if we're honest, I think if you and I were honest, the reason behind our resistance is because we like being in control. Who in here likes being in control? Raise your hand. If your hand doesn't go up, you're clearly a liar, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> let's just be honest about it. By the time the sermon's over, I think you'll agree with me. We, we all like being in control. And here's why we like to be in control. You ready? Because we want things to go our way, right? So we would actually rather ourselves be the ones that are in control because then we can have things go the way we want them to go. Uh, um, here's how I can prove it to you in case you, are, uh, you didn't raise your hand and you're going, no, pastor, that's not me. I'm way more spiritual than you and all that kind of thing. Um, tell, let, and I won't do this to you. I'll let your spouse or your friends or your kids do this to you. Bring up a point of something that you really like, but you won't let them do it because you don't want it to end up the way or the opposite of the way you want it to be, right? That, that's where the control comes in. We have a certain outcome that we want to happen and therefore, we don't want to release control. Let me explain to you what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 13 in a more, more uh, specific concept. So Nehemiah gets there. He rebuilds the wall. And then he's got to leave. So he leaves Eliashib in control. Eliashib is, is related to Tobiah, who's the enemy. So he actually clears out the offerings and the tithes of God that are supposed to go to the people that are doing the ministry, and he allows that space to become a space for Tobiah. So he actually removes God and then starts doing his own thing. So Nehemiah shows up and everything's going wrong, and I just think this is interesting, that he has actually successfully rebuilt the wall, but the problem is, who's in charge now? So for a lot of us, we set out in the very beginning of the year to rebuild something. I'm going to rebuild my marriage. I'm going to rebuild my relationship with God. I'm going to rebuild my finances. And maybe we've actually succeeded, or at least we're making progress, right? But the problem is, or the problem is going to be, who is in charge? You rebuilt your marriage, but who's in charge of your marriage? You rebuilt your finances, but who's in charge of your finances? You rebuilt your relationship with God, but who's in charge? A lot of times we can make progress rebuilding, but the problem ends up being who we left in charge. Yeah. Uh, my parents tell me this story all the time where they left me with uh, a certain family member to babysit me. They went on one of their first dates, literally one of their first dates since I was born. They come driving back middle of the night, all right, random road, and I am in nothing but a diaper walking down the road. <laughs> Could you imagine you go on your first date in years, and you come home, and your child, who was like four or five, I don't know how old you are, I had a diaper on, that should tell you something, <laughs> um, just, just walking down the road. It was my father's mother. Oh. It was my grandma. I don't even call her grandma. You know what I mean? It was my father's mother. Just let me go. You know, what's the problem there? Who did you leave in charge? We, we, we have to start asking ourselves that question. Because what if we rebuild something, let the Spirit of God, because here's what we tend to do, is we tend to rebuild something, let God help us rebuild it, or better yet, let God rebuild it, and then once it's built, we want to take control of it. And then we wonder what happens to it. God can rebuild it, but God needs to be the one who remains in control of it. 
I used to think that the most dangerous lie that I could believe was I am in control. Because we all know, I mean, 2020 taught us anything. It taught us that we're not in control of anything. But the more I mature spiritually, the more I grow up, the more I'm starting to believe that the most dangerous lie I can believe is things are better when I'm in control. Right? That's the real problem, is that there's something in us that thinks things are going to be better once we're in control. And I think that's an issue. I think over time, we, we start to rely on what we think that we can control. And we rely on those things for a sense of security. But then we find out, watch this, that we actually can't control it. And instead of finding security, we become exhausted. We think we can control something and therefore give us a sense of security, but then we start to control it. And not only are we not successfully controlling it, but we're exhausted in the process. So here's a thought I want to give you this morning. You being in control is exhausting. You being in control of your life, you being in control of your spirituality, you being in control of your marriage, you being in control of your finances, you being in control of your kids, it's all exhausting. And here's how I know it's exhausting. Have you ever seen the illustration of somebody who runs around and spins plates? Because everything I named outside of maybe kids, everybody in here deals with. Everybody in here deals with relationships, your relationship with God, your finances, your career. A lot of us deal with kids. And you're trying to do all of that successfully. None of that are you willing to go, oh, I don't care if that works, as long as these things work. You want it all to work. And so to control all of that is exhausting. I'm reading Nehemiah 13, y'all. And I'm like, imagine how mad Nehemiah was. Nehemiah showed up, given all of his time, his resource. He's rebuilt this wall. Now he's got to go back to the king. And he goes, Eliashev, you control this. We did this. You control it. He leaves. He comes back. And it's all falling apart. You ever been there? <laughs> you work hard to build it. You get it where you want it. And then you turn around, and it's all falling apart. And you just go like, I, I had this thought. I was going to name the sermon, I give up. <laughs> you ever been there? I give up. I've tried to, I've tried to raise this kid, and I'm about, I've, I've, I've tried to not punch him in the mouth, <laughs> but I give up. You know what I mean? Tried to make this marriage work. Tried to figure out this budget. Tried to do this thing with the Lord. Tried, tried to work out my righteousness, tried to follow the rules and the regulations so that I could be a Christian, and I, it, I seem to always fail. So I just, I, I give up. I give up. I think that the source of our frustration and our exhaustion is directly connected to who's in charge. I think if you're frustrated right now, it's because of who's in charge. I think if you're exhausted right now, it's because of who's in charge, right? We've all had people put in charge before that frustrate us and exhaust us. If you have a job, we've probably at some point in your life had a boss or somebody above you that just isn't in love with their job. Let's put it that way. And because of them being in charge, it frustrates you, right? Not even necessarily anything you do. It's just because they're in control and it's not going well, now you're frustrated. But here's what we do. But isn't God in control? Like Troy, you read the Bible. 
Like, isn't that whole the concept? You know, we didn't we learn that from 2020 that, that we're not in control of everything? God is in control of everything. He sets on the throne. He decides. Yes, he is in control. But here's what you have to understand. Even though God is always in control, God does not always take control. He's always in control, but he doesn't always take control. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are always in control. I can prove it to you. You pay the bills. You're the one that provides them food. You know what I mean? You're in control. If you really want to punish them, stop buying food. And then when you're hungry, get in your car without that child, drive to whatever restaurant you want to eat at, order your food, pay with your money, come home and eat it in front of their face. (laughs) Because you are in control. You're always in control. But sometimes as a good parent, you choose not to take control because they need to learn for themselves, right? So there's moments and opportunities. I'll give you some more uh, just ideas and illustrations. God is always in control. But when I choose at 1030 at night to get into my car and drive to Crumble and order a box of four cookies that are the size of my face that probably have 1,500 calories per cookie and get home and eat them right before midnight, what God doesn't do is allow my car to not start or my garage to not open, right? Like, like he's in control, but he's not going to stop me. Like, if you want to die at early age, Troy, go right ahead. You know, God's always in control, but when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm watching Netflix, God's not going to take the remote and turn off the TV. Netflix might try, right? Are you still watching this? Look, look we have a problem if Netflix is suggesting that we stop watching. You know what I mean? Like, bro, you've been here for two days. You need to, you should, you, are your kids alive? Is your wife there? You should stop watching this. But God, you're not going to get a message where it's like, do you think you should do something else? Dash God. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to take control. If, if I go, God's in control. But when I go to yell at my kids, God doesn't sew my mouth shut in the moment. I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to get you to understand that God is in control. But the concept of Christianity is that God doesn't take control. He does his best to influence us and give us wisdom and, you know, try to give us direction through his word and through his Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, if you want to do it, you can do it. He's in control, but he doesn't always take control. See, we have to understand that in order to release control, it it means that we have to release the ability and the opportunity to determine the outcome. That's what releasing control is. Releasing control is for you to absolutely release the outcome, how it's going to happen, what's going to happen. Because let me just hit this for a second. You are fine with not being in control as long as the outcome is the outcome you want. You don't care who drives as long as the destination is where you want to go. Am I right? So we don't mind releasing control. We're all for like, yeah, you're sure. You, you figure it. Here's how. I'll prove it to you. Tell me about the conversation you had with your spouse about where you were going to eat dinner. Honey, where do you want to eat? Anywhere. Well, what about, you know, what about Boombas? No, nah, I don't like, I don't want pizza. Oh, okay. Uh, what about Cracker Barrel? No, nah, I don't really want, you know, it's crowded. Okay. Here's what's happening. The person who said, I don't care, already had a place in mind. 
They knew where they wanted to go, but they are going to shut down everything you say until you suggest the place they want to go. Because we don't care who's in control as long as we're going where we want to go. God, you can have control. Just do what I want you to do. Right? Don't y'all get quiet on me now. I ain't the only one. God, have your way, Holy Spirit. Just can you, I need you to take us there though. Like, right, like we already, you know what I mean? Like we decided, we try to treat God like GPS. Like, I don't care how you get me there, but I'm the one who's going to decide where we're going. But I also want you to understand this. Our hesitation to, to not release control is not because we hate God. It's not because you're like this terrible person who just deliberately doesn't want to do what God wants to do with your life. That's, that's, that's not the concept. Majority of the time, you are not driven to take control because you are mad at God, hate God, don't think God has... Here, here's the deal. You are afraid. There, there's, there's a fear, just a natural fear that maybe, just maybe, what is best for you won't be what ends up happening. And what ends up causing us to struggle with releasing control is what I call the what-ifs. Like, God, I would release control of my life and pursue the calling you have on my life. What if you call me to do something I don't want to do? I remember when I first got saved, the church we were at was a very missions, global missions, heavy church. And everybody was always like, I'm going to, you know, uh, I can't even think of third world countries. I, I'm going to South, who would you say? Did you say, I'm going to South Africa. I'm going to Bangladesh. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Costa Rica. And I'd be hearing that. I'd be like, I don't want to submit my life to God. I need air condition. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want God to send me somewhere. I don't want to go. What happens? What if, what if God asked me to do something I don't want to do, right? So for, let's be honest. There's a lot of reasons a lot of us don't tithe. Because here's the question, I, I want to give God control over my finances, but what if I can't pay the rent, right? Just kind of a little bit of a natural fear in there that, that is moved on by the what ifs. I want to give God control over my marriage, but what if, what if it doesn't end the way I want it to end? I want to give God control over my kids, but what if, they don't, what if they're not raised the way I want them to be raised? There's just kind of deep down in us, there's this what if. And so again, it's not us wanting to relent, you know, to not give control to God. It's not because we don't like God. It's not because we hate God. It's because there's a fear of us that goes, man, what if, what if? We love the idea of releasing control. There is actually something in us that loves the idea of not being responsible. A lot of times, Sunday, we'll get done with Sunday, and I'm, I'm, I'm emotionally exhausted. I've, I've given all that I got, and we'll get in the car, and the question will become, where are we going to eat? And we'll have some people that are going to go eat or whatever. Where are we going to eat? And I'll go, I don't want to decide. I've made too many decisions. <laughs> I don't care. Just you start driving, and wherever we end up, I'll eat. Because there are moments in us where we want to release control. But then the second something starts to happen and things begin to become uncertain, what do we do? We tighten our grip, right? What the prophet, the great prophet Carrie Underwood say? <laughs> Jesus, take the... I thought about singing it, but I didn't want y'all to leave church. I'm not Gigi, apparently. But we're like, Jesus, take the wheel. And the second we start doing something, you know, the second we start taking an exit, whoop, we grab it right back. Whoa, 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 I didn't say you could go there. And we, 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 we grab tighter. 
We grab tighter. We want to release, but the second things are uncertain, we grab tighter. Listen to me. All of you, 2019, January 2020, we were all moving into a direction of continuing to release our life to God. And then 2020 hit, and we freaked out because we didn't know what to expect, and we grabbed it tighter. Oh, goodness, I don't know what to do, right? And we're learning that when we grab tightly, watch this, we come to find out that we actually control things less but here's the real catch. It's exhausting. Have you ever just grabbed something very tightly, just held on to it? It becomes very exhausting. A couple examples of this. One day I was working at the gym and I had a guy that I work out with sometimes teach me the farmer's carry. Y'all ever seen that? You'll get like dumbbells or kettlebells and you grip them and you just walk. And my mind couldn't compute how that would be exercise for me right? I didn't understand that. And the more I did it, the more I was telling him, I'd be like, man, my, my, it's my hands and my wrists that are hurting. And he would talk about my grip. It's, it's the grip. Other thing that was interesting is recently, Casey Ray was raising some money for something and she was doing a pull-up thing. And I was watching her and it was always the grip. She would start to say, oh, I'm losing grip or oh, my hands are hurting. Because it's exhausting when we grip something really tight. And I think for a lot of us, we've been going through life gripping certain things really tight for a long time. And we're tired. And we're exhausted. And so the idea of giving up control is exciting. And we are, oh, yes, let's do it. But then something happens that we're not completely certain of, and then we grab it back. And the more we do that, the more reluctant we are to give up control. And unfortunately, for some of us, it takes chaos for us to see that we shouldn't be in control. For some of us, it has to all fall apart for us to realize, I got to let this go. A couple weeks ago, I shared with the church that I was in a plane crash. <laughs> Remember this? <laughs> for, those, for those of you that are visiting, our church is not, you know, disrespectful to me. They don't hate my life. But the story goes like this. The story is that my wife doesn't think it was a plane crash. Um, she likes to tell people that it wasn't, but for, again, for those of you that are visiting, let me explain to you what happened in my life. Um, I'm in the plane, it's a little two-seater plane, and we're up there flying with a buddy of mine whose job is to fly, and we go to land, and the front little wheel on the plane, as we land, that front wheel caved in, and the front of the plane nosedove into the ground, okay? Wrecked the plane, the plane had to get fixed, oil was going everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a plane crash. I survived a plane crash. I deserve, I'm superhuman, guys. That's what we're getting to. If you ever seen Unbreakable, it's about me. The movie's about me, okay? So I, I told that story. One of my friends actually got me a miniature little airplane toy just to be, you know, in remembrance of when God saved my life. It was just important to me. But there's a part of that story I didn't tell then. We're in the air, all right, before the, the you know, inevitable crash, before world stopped turning, in the words of Alan Jackson. And, you know, we're in the air and we're flying, and there's like, I guess, I don't, if, if you're a big plane person, don't judge me for this. But I guess it's the steering wheel that I'm hanging on to. Is that right? Steering wheel? Don't, okay, thank you. Um, and, and then, and then he, Shane is in the actual seat with, with his steering wheel, okay? And so we're flying and we're in the air. You know, we're like 40 million feet in the air, you know, right, right before we're about to die. And we're flying and there's clouds everywhere. And, and, and I got my hands on, on the steering wheel just for fun. You know what I mean? I'm not doing anything. I'm just like, I got, where do I put my hands? I don't know, on the steering wheel. And Shane goes, do you want to fly? And I was like, I think we are flying. <laughs> and he's like, no, do you want to be in control? And I'm like, I, I don't think that that's smart. You know, I mean, you have a degree. 
look at me. I can't even make ice cream. I don't really know that we should be doing this. And, and, and so he's like, put your, you know, put your hands on the steering wheel. So I got my hands on the steering wheel, and he's telling me a couple of things, and I'm doing it. And then I'm just, I'm just looking ahead because I'm nervous, right, really nervous. And all of a sudden, because we have the little ear things on where when he talks, I can hear him. All of a sudden, he goes, Troy. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you're flying. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like, I'm Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? Like, this is amazing. I, and I'm just flying. I'm looking at him. He's got no hands, y'all. No hands. He's just sitting back in his chair. And I'm like, look at me. Like, if only Darla could see this. I mean, she, there would be, just be so much respect in our house if she knew that like, I'm a pilot. Like, when I say something, that's not Troy talking. That's pilot Troy talking. You know what I mean? Like, there should be some honor and some, put some respect on my name. You know what I'm saying? Pilot Troy. And we're going, and I don't know, it's probably a minute or two, and all of a sudden, all these lights start going off and noises, and there's a woman. In my, there ain't a woman on the plane. But there's a woman in my ears going, pull up, pull up. And I'm like, what? Huh? What's happening? And I looked at him and go, what is going on? And he's calm as a cucumber. He's like, you've gone too low. I'm like, you should be panicking right now because I'm flying. We're dead, right? You crashed the plane. I'm going to crash the plane. We're going to die soon, all right? You're already dead. I'm going to die. Like, this is going to happen. Like, something needs to happen. And we're going down. And then all of a sudden, you know, he grabs it and he pulls and it comes back up very slowly. And all of a sudden, you know, she's going, pull up, pull up. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And it was, well, here's what happened in case you don't know what's going on. I did not know how to fly the plane. So he put me in control. I start getting direct the plane. He tells me something's wrong, and I tell him, take control of it. Right? Because for some of us, we need stuff to go wrong for us to be able to release control. I'll be honest with you, I didn't want control to begin with. But when he gave it to me, I started getting all kind of confident and prideful. Like, look at me. You know what I mean? Maybe I should start teaching courses. Like, you know, maybe we should put my name on this plane for a moment. And then all of a sudden things went wrong. And I'm like, take it back, take it back, take it back. And this is often how we operate with God. We take control and things start going okay. And we get kind of confident. You know what I mean? Oh, God, I don't need you anymore. And then when things start to go wrong, what do we do? God, take control. Take this, God, take this, God, take this, God. Why? Because I've lost control of it. Well, why didn't you give me control before you lost control of it? What I love about the grace of God is he will come in the midst of your chaos. But the love of God says you don't have to wait till then for me to get there. I can come in and take control before there's chaos. It's okay. For Jesus to be the center of my life, watch this, it means I invite him to take control. It's not this concept that he's just going to take control. He's a gentleman. But when he's invited, he comes. I no longer desire to independently run my own life, but I surrender to following his lead. There's peace in that, church. A weight can be lifted with that. Here's what's crazy about surrendering our life to God. When we surrender our life to God, on on one hand, it feels like we're losing control. While on the other hand, it feels like freedom because we no longer have to carry the weight by ourselves, right? So it's all about how we look at it. If we look at it one way, we're losing control. Well, now I don't get to decide the outcome. On the other hand, watch this. I don't have to decide the outcome. Did you hear that? On one side, I don't get to decide what happens. 
On the other side, it's not my responsibility anymore. There's freedom. I think my favorite moment in that whole flighting moment with Shane is after he pulled it back up, he said, hey, you want to fly again? I said, no, thank you. I said, I tell you what, I'd rather just sit here and enjoy the view. You know what I mean? You do your job. You're the pilot. You fly. And I'll enjoy. Y'all, that's... Uh-uh. Got to hear my heart in this. That's our relationship with God. Hey, you be the one in control. And I'll enjoy. Right? Now, when I say something like that, here's what your mind does. You go, oh, so we don't have responsibility. We can just, you know, here, God, you take it and we'll sit back. And releasing control doesn't mean removing responsibility. We, we still have responsibility. In fact, we're supposed to steward that which God gives us while trusting him to handle the outcome. Did you hear me? We steward decisions. We still have to make decisions. We steward our lives. But in the whole process, what we're doing is we're stewarding it in a way where we're trusting God for the outcome. So I'll do what the Lord tells me to do, but I'm not going to question every decision I make with how is the outcome going to be. I'm going to trust God with what I'm doing for him to handle the outcome. The path to true peace is when we trust God is the best person to decide our path. That's the actual path of peace. The secret for you to experience true peace is to trust that God is the best person to be in control of your path. He's the best person to be behind the wheel. Here's the coolest thing about that concept is I can be behind the wheel with my hands on the wheel and appear to be in control, but I'm not. I'm letting him be in control. So God, I get it. I got to show up. I got to do certain things, but you be in control. Now, I'm, I'm writing all this for you, and, and I finally got to this question because I'm asking it for myself, and I think you might be asking it, and it was this question. How do I give control to God? Like, that's a really great point, Troy. We appreciate it. You really got us to a point where we understand that we really like to relinquish control to God. But what does that look like? Because we hear it. Because here's what happens a lot of times in church. It's like, you need to give control to God. Yes, I do. All right, have a great week. And you walk out and go, what do I give him? You know what I mean? Like, does God start making my kids lunch? (laughs) You know? Does God do all the chores around the house? Does God have conversation with my wife? Like, what what does that look like? How do I give God control? And the Lord took me back to Nehemiah 13. And in Nehemiah 13, here's what happened. Nehemiah showed up, and he took everything that was not of God, and he removed it. And then he put what was supposed to be in place back in place. He said, this is not of God, and he evicted it. I wrote down in my notes at one point, he cleaned house. Cleaned house. All right, we're done with this. We're done with that. We're done with this. We're going to give God control over this. God control over this, God control over this. This is the system. Now, now listen to me, please. This is what the church has been preaching for years. It was just communicated incorrectly. Let me explain what I mean by that. You got saved, depending on what your salvation looked like. If you got saved here, maybe it wasn't like this. But I'll, I'll use me, for example. When I got saved at 18 years old in a church in Memphis, an Assembly of God church in Memphis, when I got saved, I heard... In order to give God control, watch this, you need to quit watching them movies. You know what I mean? 
You need to quit listening to that music. You need to quit hanging out with those friends. It was all of this like rules and regulations and I walked out of church. I didn't even know where to begin. Because like if, 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 if I remove all of those things, I don't really have anything to put in its place. You know what I mean? And it just, it just seemed very exhausting. And I left out going, I really want God to be in control, but I don't even know what that looks like. Like where do I even begin with that? And, and if we're not careful, y'all, this is what we'll think. We'll go, oh, man, you know, I want to give God control, but, but if that just means that, like, you know, I have to start removing certain things that I like and have to start stopping all of this kind of practical, I need to just, you know, I'm, I'm going to get rid of that CD and I'm going to get this CD and I'm going to stop watching that movie and start watching that movie. And all of that is great. We can, you know, I think you can see where we're going with that in the idea of a heart. But, but here's where the miscommunication is. Here's what I want you to understand. We walk away with rules and regulations while totally missing the relationship. And so you walk out of a building and go, I want God to have control of my life. Why? Because that's what they told me to do. Instead of, I want God to have control over my life. Why? Because God loves me. Right? Hey, hey, why are you changing the... When I got saved, it was a, it was a few months after I got saved, I was in the car with my dad. And um, me and my dad both used to be pretty, pretty heavy cussers. And he looked at me one day and he looked at me and said, I noticed you don't cuss anymore. And I was like 18 years old, 19 years old. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, why? And I, I honestly don't remember what I said. But if I, judging by what he said and his reaction, I think it would have probably went something like this. I just don't really think it glorifies God. You know? It, my answer wasn't, well, they told me at church to stop. It was more about relationship than it was rules and regulations. You see what I'm saying? It's hard to give up control when we don't fully know the character of God. How do you give control to somebody who you don't really know? You know what I mean? Like, like how do you have this moment where you can release control to God and you don't really know God? And so if God is like this, you know, big being in heaven that's bossing you around because, you know, he knows things better than you and he's got a plan for you whether you like it or not, then there's going to be real hesitation to give up control. But the more we get to know the character of God, the more we get to know God, the easier... Any of y'all watch The Chosen? Anybody here watch The Chosen? What I love about The Chosen is you get to see the character of God. And the more you watch it, you're like, man, I would give up everything and follow him in a second. Why? Because you start to learn how much God loves us, right? Watch this. Learning to trust God and letting go of control becomes much easier when we believe he cares about us, when we believe he rewards us, and when we believe that he has good plans for us. I like the way Paul said it. Watch this. I think it's really interesting the way he swings this in 2 Corinthians. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. What's controlling us? The love of Christ. Hey, why are you making that change? The love of Christ. Why are you choosing to substitute that for this? The love of Christ. It's the love of Jesus that begins to control us. Watch what else he says. He says, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. It's bringing up the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
He says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, may no longer want control, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen, church, here's what he's saying. That a Savior who would die for you, whether or not you actually choose to live for him, is the best person to put in control. Right? The Savior who is the author and the finisher of your faith is the best that you could put in control. The Savior who's got plans to prosper you, who's already pinning out your life, who cares the most about you, the Savior who loves you is the best person that you could put in control. And so my challenge for you today is this. I think we all understand that we do need to release control to God for the best outcome. But I want to challenge the reason you're releasing control. Not because church told you. Not because you think that you might be able to trade good for great. But because you understand that someone who loves you as much as he loves you could only want the best for you. Let me invite the worship team up for a second. I want to give you one more visual. And then I want to give us a time to worship and let some stuff go. In our house, we have the stairs that you pull down to get to the attic. You guys are familiar with that. Casey Ray is my eight-year-old. She's about yay tall. She's adventurous. She's in ninja class. Um, right now, she loves ninja. She's 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 BMXing, flag football, everything. She's she's just an adventurer. And one day, I was I think I was putting up Christmas decorations, and she was up there near me. And I came down the ladder, and she said, "Dad, can I go up the ladder?" And I said, "Yeah, I I, I think that's okay. You can go up the ladder." And so I stood at the bottom of the ladder, and she goes up the ladder. And she looked down at me. She said, "Dad, can I go in to the attic?" And I said. Yeah, I think that's okay. You can go in the attic. I said, just be really careful. I said, don't go, don't go walking around. I said, just stand right there for a minute. She said, okay. And she said, all right, I'm done. I said, all right, now, now come down, right? I'm looking. I said, come down the stairs. She takes a few steps, and here's what she goes. She goes, Dad, can I jump into your arms? And I was like, ah. No, if you jump, you might hit your head in trying to jump up. And uh, I said, why don't you just fall back? And she's like, you can see it in her eyes, right? She's like, what? And I was like, yeah, just, I said, I'm going to catch you. I said, just, you know, I said, I'm looking at her. I said, I'll, I'll be like this. I said, just, you just, you know, you just fall back. And you could see the hesitation in her. You know what I mean? Like, she really wanted to do it, but she was like, ah, like, what if you don't catch me and I die? You know, it's just kind of a whole process. Because sometimes even as a child, you question, right? What if? What if, what if he doesn't catch me? So here was the sweetest moment for me. I looked at her in her eyeballs. I said, Casey Ray, I'll catch you. And you could tell something shifted. And so she goes, boom, I caught her. I didn't drop her, guys. I caught her. And the moment I caught her, something lit up in her, right? Does any, can anybody guess what she wanted to do after that? 
do it again. Y'all are prophets. She said, I want to do it again. She climbed back up the ladder. I said, go. Boom. Caught her. She said, I want to do it again. She went higher this time. She went higher. I said, okay, chill out. You know, I'm still almost 40. Can't hurt her back. This morning I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me. And the Lord had already reminded me of that story. And I'm, I remember that moment that I looked at her and I said, baby, I'll catch you. And I felt the Spirit of God say this. Every word that I put in the Bible was to affirm you that I'll catch you. I'll catch you. Trust me. I'll catch you. But what if God... What if everything falls apart? I'll catch you. You know, it's so fast. I don't think we really experience it. But there has to be a moment, psychologically, where when we're falling, that there's a doubt. Right? I'll even do one better. My arms have to give a little bit to catch. So there might even be that moment where it's like, oh, goodness. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, Dad, I didn't know. But I was still willing to go. God, I want to give you control over my life. But what if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? I'll catch you. God, I want to give you I want to give you control over my marriage. But what if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? Baby, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And I think the sweetest moment is when you've been caught once, it's easier to say, I want to do it again. Right? So I want to challenge you for a moment. When's the last time you gave God control over something? Think about it. Did he catch you? Here's how I know he caught you. You're alive. You're here today. You're prospering. There's a future. There's a hope. He caught you. So, man, let's run back up the ladder. Here's a real challenge. Let's go one step higher. I was talking with my mom at dinner a couple weeks, a couple days ago, and she's been tithing and stuff. She started talking about it. It was so funny. She started telling me how God's caught her. She said, baby, I can believe it. Like I did this. And then all of a sudden, this check came out, and I'm just smiling at her, you know, because she's realizing it. She's being caught. It's like, you, you, you can't just. He catches me. He does catch you. I walk with a lot of people through a lot of stuff. And the only reason why I have sanity is because I can look at them with 100% hope and say, he'll catch you. 
He'll catch you. Do me a favor. Come on, stand with me for a moment. We're going to get real practical for a moment. Where are you struggling trusting God? Where's the area that God's saying just let it go? Trust me. I'll catch you. Where is it? But Troy, you don't understand. Sometimes it passed, it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and I think I, I think I know the best way for it to go at this moment, and I'm a little bit afraid to release control because what happens if what happens if I do? and nobody catches me. I'm afraid to fall. I'm afraid to hit the ground. So I'd much rather just kind of sit up here and hold this step and stay where I am, miserable, than to, hey, just let go. Some of you, you're at a point where that's all you can do. And what a great moment to be in. And what a great God to have. Some of you just need that little bit of encouragement of, hey, whatever it is, come on, let go, let go, let go. Let God have it. Get rid of those things. Put God in place. Trust me. Let him. If I, if I, I feel like I could just drop a prophetic word on you and walk off and it would be this, baby. Y'all got grandma. You know what I'm talking about? Praying grandma. Baby. You start talking crazy to grandma, baby. I think God's got the spirit of grandma for a moment. Baby, baby, I will catch you. I'll catch you. Trust me. Trust me. Let it go. Let God. Stop holding. Release it. Well, it's not going the way. It doesn't matter. God works years beyond you. And so even though it looks broken today, it's got to be broken for God to rebuild it. You got to let it go. You got to let God. Baby, I'll catch you. Close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. That's what we're about to do in this place. In the most prophetic way, we are going to let go. What better way? The Spirit of God. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me where I cannot follow. Let me walk upon. Hallelujah, Jesus. That last part, the presence of my Savior. He's a Savior. Baby, I'll catch you. Come on, whatever it is right now, would you just begin to declare? Begin to say, God, I need your help. God, I need your help with my marriage. God, I need your help with my finances. God, I need your help with my mental health. God, I need your help with my anxiety. God, I need your help with my depression. God, I need your help with my salvation. God, I need your help with my legalism. God, I need your help with my worry. God, I need you. God, I need you. Hallelujah.